Welcome to Making Comics, the podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Melisanda for The Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja and the upcoming comic Three Protectors. And we're back. We're fully energized, unlike the last episode when we were wrecked from doing Comic-Con Revolution. It was nice to be back in the swing of things. That was my first convention of the season. I think that was, what, your third? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was my third in a very short period of time. Actually, my fourth, technically, because I did Rose City in uh, September. Oh, okay. So, yeah, nice, a nice, a nice end of the year with uh, with four shows in a in a close area there. And now I get some time off until I think WonderCon. That's probably the first one for me that starts up my convention season. Do you have uh, San Diego Comic Fest this year? Yeah, no? I got Comic Fest. Uh, I think that's in April. When's WonderCon? Isn't that in March or is that in April as well? April 1st through the 3rd. Oh, okay. So I think I tried to get in there. I don't know what's going on with that. Probably didn't get in, but, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. All right, man. Uh, so we're, we're starting a little early today, and we're both on time constraints, but are you still drinking a beer for the pod? No. Oh, no, <laughs> you're not. I'm holding, up a, I'm holding up a Diet Coke. I'm holding up a Diet Coke to Scott right now. Okay, well, uh, I already have a can out, and I have the very last... Mamba Mentality beer that you gave me. I feel like it's time to do it. And, uh, you know, I want to get to it before it gets skunked. You can't have these in your fridge too long. So I'm going to knock this delicious bad boy out. While you enjoy that for a second, I will mention that I had a good beer, uh, I think yesterday or the day before. So I was, I was dropping my wife off for, um, for like just an appointment and, uh, and had some time to kill. So I, I like went to Starbucks because it was early. And then as I'm pulling out of the Starbucks, you know, I had I did my writing, I had my coffee, you know, had my enjoyable coffee shop time. And uh, I'm looking and I'm like, holy shit, there's a brewery in this shopping plaza. I'll have to make a note to come back later. So I did. And then I walked in. So the place is called Left Coast Brewing Company. Mm. It's in it's in Irvine. And uh, and I walk in and I'm like, wow, hold it. They have a beer called Asylum. And I'm like, I just bought a can of Asylum. I think I drank it on the podcast. It's like an eight, nine percent Belgian triple, I think. And I was like, you guys make Asylum? And they're like, yeah. And then I saw something else they had that I was also like, wait, you guys make this too? So they're like, you know, they're like a local thing. And um, and yeah, man, I had a nice flight while I was while I was kicking it there a little later in the day and had some groovy beers. And one of them, so we might, I hope that this is part of their ongoing thing. One of them was called Mamba Mentality. Oh. And uh, yeah, man, it was really good. It was a double IPA. So of course, I, no, it was called Mamba Forever. Okay. Because I remember when I when I ordered it, I said I'll take a Mamba Forever because Mamba Forever. Right. <laughs> right. So so anyway, yeah, uh, that was it. Was enjoyable and uh, be a great place for us to grab a beer next time you're. Yeah, right. absolutely. How far is that from your place? Mm, Irvine. It's like thirty minutes. Oh, okay. I mean, we could we'd we'd have to we'd have to parlay that into some comic shops and some eating, no doubt. But uh, but it can be done. Yeah, that sounds sounds good with me, man. So what was the yeah, what was man. the first thing you tackled this week? Okay. It's it's sort of a cheat, but it's totally not a cheat. It's not the first thing I've tackled this week, but it's been something that I have worked on. I'm not kidding here for about 5 months while we've been doing making comics and I've been not able to talk about it and not able to talk about it because it's just gone from, you know, inception to a fully formed thing. But uh I, a ton of my time over this last 5 months has been about a relaunch of 215 Inc. And so astute listeners may have noticed 
especially the closer we got to today, that I stopped referring to 215 Inc. as 215 Inc. I started making clever word workarounds like my company or the comic company or things like that in ways that imply 215 Inc. but aren't 215 Inc. because we are relaunching it. I think there's going to be some articles that should come out this week, I believe, when this podcast airs. Um, when we're recording this, it's a little before, but 215 Inc. is is no more, and I am one of the managing partners of Invader Comics. So, new comic company, Scott, of course, has known this for a little while, but Invader Comics, or we're actually, we're technically called Invader because we're not putting comics on it, even though we do comics, because you don't want to limit yourself from the jump, right? Anyway, uh, really, really excited. It's with a couple dudes. It's with Mike Perkins, who uh, Scott makes references to all the time. Mike Perkins. <laughs> Mike and his brother and his brother Will. Exactly. Will Perkins. And, uh, and a dude named Kevin. So, uh, so yeah, man, we're going to launch a new venture. It's going to be good comics. And we've got a new schedule and a new plan. And, um, and Scott and I already talked about that we'll probably have an Invader creator on an upcoming podcast pretty soon as well. So uh, he has a couple really neat things that dovetail with what Scott does. And so to be continued on that, but just an absolute ton of work. I mean, we're talking about from from a germ of an idea to, you know, a brand identity, logo design, launch schedules, the first year of books that we have planned, the Kickstarter schedule, the Diamond Preview schedule, and absolutely everything that comes with it, including what is what is no longer a surprise now, but anybody who ordered Dr. Crow Volume 1, it was solicited under 215, and it's going to ship as Invader, because that's what we do, right? Surprise, you just got the first Invader book. So anyone who's interested can check the first Invader book out, it has the new logo, new branding, and everything, and uh, and we'll just keep on rolling from here, man. I'm really excited. Nice, man. That sounds that sounds pretty awesome. Uh, I know you've been working on that, and uh, not something you really mentioned on the pod. You like to keep stuff close to the vest, as you mentioned before here. And uh, yeah, man, exciting. Always exciting to launch a new brand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So onward we go, onward we go. How nice. about you, man? What was your first thing? Uh, I think the most interesting thing that I did this week. I, that's that's how I'm going to try to do it these days. So we get off on I get off on a good foot. Um, I started working on the cover to Second Shift Thirteen. So. This isn't actually something that I need done right now, but I kind of do. So the next book that I'm working on is Wanders and Melisanda 3. But in the back of Second Shift 12, um, 10 or 12, uh, I'm working on the back matter. Uh, I need a little image, a little icon for the next cover. I always like doing that. I like to have an image of what, what the next issue is going to look like. It doesn't always happen, but there's a space for it, and I like to have it. And uh, you know what? I'm kind of on hold with some commission work, so why not? Let me tackle this part. And uh, I, I kind of banged most of it out today, digitally. So what I do what I do with my covers, specifically, or interior splash pages, I like to do them digitally, because I just work faster that way, but I like to print them out in blue line and ink them traditionally. That way I have a physical piece of a cover or splash page, something that might be interesting in the future uh, for people that collect comics and, uh, you know, like the second shift. And, you know, if the book takes off, the covers are available um, at some point. So um, I like the idea of that. So uh, that's what I was working on today. And and it's a really fun cover. It's kind of an homage to many covers done over the years. Um, and I would just, I would say it's closely reminiscent of Wolverine versus Hulk. I believe that's a Hulk cover Todd McFarlane did. And, um, 
yeah, so it's it's something akin to that. It, it's not a uh, homage in the sense that it's the same exact layout, but it's something along those lines. Yeah, I, I man, I'm probably going to butcher this. It might be like Hulk 332, but it might not be. It's the one where you see Hulk's reflection in Wolverine's claws. Yes, correct. Right? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, definitely modern day iconic cover. So I have a few questions for you here. Mm-hmm. Number one, have you done any interior work to issue 13 yet? I have not. Um, Ed has given me the script, and I visualized the the script as I went through, but I have nothing down on paper beyond the cover. Okay, so my, my follow-up question, I have a couple follow-ups depending on how you answer here. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a comic happen like this before, where you have done the cover before you did the interiors? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I had the cover to Second Shift 10. I think that I had that done two years ago basically like i i laid it all out it wasn't physically um it wasn't on physical paper but i had done it digitally it was all laid out and i just needed to print it and then re-ink it traditionally and then scan that in eliminate the blue lines and then you know have joaquin do his magic so it's it's kind of going to be the same thing with this i'm going to work work it out like something that's happened on the last couple of covers that i i haven't been able to do the thing that i just said i like to do uh, you know, doing digital printing it out uh, because I drew the cover so close to deadline that I didn't have time. I'm like, let me just do it. So, but what I'm going to do is go back. I'm going to print those covers out. I'm going to ink them traditionally. And then on the uh, second batch or whatever the next batch of covers is, I'm just going to swap out the line art for the the traditional. So I can therefore say, this is the cover. This is the cover art for, you know, whatever, 10, 11, 12. And, um, yeah, I want to make, make sure I'm being honest about it, but it's just like, Hey, the first, first, uh, first printing was the digital. And then the second printing was this. So this is actually the, Mm -hmm. the cover. So it'll still exist. And, uh, it is the incredible Hulk 340 is the one. Oh man. I was so very close on price is right. I may have won both showcases. That was really close. (laughs) Okay. So here's my final question, which is, um, when you did issue 10, did did doing the cover first help any in how you drew the story afterwards? Like, is there some any any level of storytelling benefit that comes with doing the cover, which, as we've talked about before, is intended to sum up the issue in a, in some way or sum up the essence of the issue or something like that? Did you get a benefit the time you, you did it before? Did it help you when you went into the issue itself? I think I think it helped to a degree, but I kind of always know, knew the vibe that I wanted these issues to have. Like the taxidermist, so issue 10 was a, a cover I did that has a taxidermist on it. That was actually supposed to be the cover to 9. But Brett Booth came along and he was available to do a cover. At the time, I didn't have the ability to do multiple covers. I can only do one. So it's like, well, if Brett Booth is available to do a cover, I'm going to have him do it and uh, get that out as soon as possible. And so that's what happened. So the issue the cover of nine became the cover of 10. And um, mm-hmm. so I already had the vibe going in. It's just, I got a little more time with it. The positive and the negative is one, what you said, it might give you a better idea of what you're going to do with the interiors. The negative is if you do it that far ahead, sometimes your skills might jump and you go, Ugh, I, I'm going to have to redo this because it doesn't live up to what you're doing now. Um, luckily I had taken a jump when I drew that cover like I, I personally feel that way. I feel like this is this is a jump right here. This cover, 
And, um, um, and I think it shows, like, if you go through my issues, I think they get stronger and stronger. Like, my storytelling is very important to me, and it's always been important. Um, but it, uh, now I'm having a nice mixture of that you're too young to know you're doing shit wrong, and I know the rules now, so let me follow them. I think I'm in the nice middle ground for both of those things. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, and I think this cover was around the time when I took that jump. Nice. Nice. That's cool. That's cool. I think for me, the concern would be, here's my luck. Here's what my luck would be. I'd get all, I'd get the cover all set up and then I'd do the issue and then I'd have to change something. And that something would be a storytelling thing that required a change in art. And all of a sudden the color cover just doesn't make as much sense anymore. Right. That's, that's actually my process on three protectors, everybody. That's pretty much how a ton of my three protectors shit happened where it was like, Oh my God. I created, we created this cool character and it can't even be in the arc at all, Yeah. <laughs> which, which, uh, if Scott, if you ever read the issue I gave you of three protectors, you'll know who I'm talking about. Um, yeah, there, there's a character that was in the original thing that we sold, mm -hmm. um, that we just had to remove entirely, not because of anything that you saw in those pages, but because of what you, you would have seen downstream where his presence made less and less sense. Oh, okay. Right. So, well, I did read yeah. one issue from you. Uh, so not the original one that was printed. I haven't read that one, but I did read mm. one. Um, well, you proved you proved the one that's coming out. Okay, yeah. yeah. So that's the one I read. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. Well, if you ever want to, I mean, you have that other one that I gave you the the first, uh, you know, the original, the Matrix first iteration. Okay. Of, <laughs> of three protectors before the architect remade it into what it is. Now. Okay, cool. Um, okay, yeah. But anyway, so so yeah, man. I mean, that that's interesting, and it made me think of something else random too, which is okay for for the brett booth cover did he read the interior story on that one and then do the cover i don't know i gave him pdfs to all of the issues uh a lot of the current ones uh, i think two two other issues had been out um since like the, the characters costumes got upgraded so like the first story arc is one through one through five and they're wearing basically the costumes that i designed for them when i was in seventh grade and so, yeah, if you ever read Second Shift 1 through 5, all those all the fans out there, uh, you'll that's what those costumes are. Those are my uh, high school, junior high versions of my characters that I actually got to, you know, bring to life and let them live. And so after the first story arc, I was like, I, I want to change these costumes. It's not it doesn't fit my aesthetic anymore, but I just wanted those to live for a storyline. And um, so in issue six, which is the holiday special at Christmas, Sarah actually gifts the team new costumes. So you actually, oh, nice. I always liked, I always liked uh, seeing why characters got new costumes. So I wanted to make it make sense. And um, mm -hmm. so in issue six, Sarah gifts them with costumes. The funny thing is those costumes aren't the ones that they actually end up wearing in the next issue. Just because I was kind of winging it. I was like, I don't even know what I want their new costumes to look like. Let me just try some shit out. And mm -hmm. uh, as I was drawing six and then as I was drawing seven, my aesthetic changed again and i was like i like this this is a really good idea like when i was younger for some reason i didn't like like body parts showing i didn't like when you could see people's arms like i thought everyone should be fully covered in spandex so uh mm. but uh, as time got on i was just like no that's that's dumb <laughs> yeah, that would drive me batty because uh to know me is to know i can't i don't really like having my wrists covered mm. so if i was wearing spandex i would have to have open wrists it would have to cut off at like the elbow mm. So just to, for, for any of you that want to recruit me into your spandex laden superhero team down the road, I'm just giving you some pointers. Just giving there you, you some go. Pointers. Put that into your guys' fanfic. Yeah. Yeah. And one other thing, though, uh, this is kind of 
making me think of what I hope is a bit of an insider tip that can help people because we talked before, we had an entire main topic in an episode before about covers. And one thing I don't think we brought up, which is a nice little tip to keep in mind is one, one way I like thinking about covers is that you have the main cover. In Scott's case, Scott does the main cover for his for his second shift books and Wanderers of Melisandre. In my case, I try to get the primary artist on the book to do a cover. If that doesn't work out, then I just go with something else. But the important part about that cover is the main cover should always have some element of storytelling to it. It should, like we talked about before, capture the essence of the issue or a couple key details of the issue. Just figure out a way to summarize the issue in a super catchy, awesome cover. When it comes to variants, though, you don't have to do that. And, uh, and I think I'd even make the argument that you shouldn't for the, for the storytelling reasons I just mentioned. You know, as, as we've also discussed before, we like to get our variant covers way in advance. And as a result, those variant covers are probably more likely to be something that simply captures the essence of the entire comic or the entire story instead of this one aspect of the issue that it's the cover of. Yeah, that's what happened with the Brett Booth cover. He asked me what I wanted, and Brett Booth does really killer team team shots, team covers, and uh, that's what I wanted from him because that's what he does the best. It doesn't necessarily capture the interior, but it also it's just a cool looking cover. Like it has it has nothing to do with what's on in the issue. It's the teams just posing, looking badass, using their powers, and. Um, you know, that's the first appearance of the taxidermist. I wish I had the ability to do alternate covers back then. And uh, I would have done too. I would have done my cover and then his cover. At this point, that's just what the cover to nine is. You know, maybe in the future down the road, when I do a second printing, um, that I'll change it up. But uh, as of right now, that's what that one is. Um, as yeah. far as other alternate covers go, I've actually tried to keep it somewhere around what's going on in the storyline. So for instance, um, I have Kickstarter exclusive covers. The one for 10 was just another generic team shot that I got from Shaheen Lajuiz. And Mm -hmm. uh, I had it banked for a few years. And so he posted it and I'm like, okay, I I probably need to use this. And so I definitely wasn't intending to use it for issue 10 uh, because it is more or less two characters, not all four of the characters. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So um, I let that out into the wild. But the cover to 12... Um, he did a great job. I sent him the folder where I was keeping all of my drawtobers. So he actually got to see the progression of the story. So he understood what went on. So when he did the cover, um, it was very reminiscent of what was going on. He depicted what was going on in a completely different way than actually how I depicted it inside the story. I was like, this is essentially what's going on. Just something that I didn't convey, you know? And um, mm-hmm. the other one was by Nuclear Shelter, uh, mm-hmm. Santiago Latore. And he did the same thing. Uh, I, I sent him the link for the folder. He went through it and he created another cover that was essentially what was going on. And it's it's almost a recreation or a different angle of something that happens in the story. Like towards the end of the story, that's what his cover looks like to me. And I'm like, that's freaking badass. It's just an interpretation of something I did uh, in a slightly different way. And his uh, art style is, is so fucking cool. And um, nice. yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, working with him again. Cause I definitely think yeah. um, his speed and uh, it, it was just 
great. You know, he was so fast with it. He was such a professional. Um, he advertised it more than anyone else that I've seen that I've used for cover work does. And uh, I really like that element and uh, super cool, super cool to deal with. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, that was all the stuff I had on cover. So I'll just I'll just roll into my second thing. Well, I'll do a couple quick updates. Number one, I think I'm close. To, I get an I got a note from Will that I'll be getting the inks back to Kadoja Volume Four, Number One, any day. Um, that's great to hear. Then after that comes the shading, and then that issue is complete. And then it really becomes about when I can fit it into my own release schedule because Three Protectors is next on the on the radar. And then I would probably do something involving Kadoja Volume 4, number one, a little bit after that. But uh, as, as I think I've mentioned before, I, 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 I want to know that I'm, I've at least started issue two when I kickstart issue one. I don't like kickstarting issue one without an idea of when issue two is even going to be out. So that's the hard work that I have to do to get an artist to, you know, because I don't have one and and go from there. So anyway, Kadoja 4 is plugging along. Three Protectors is almost complete. Mike asked, gave me the writing edits and Lance. I made all the writing edits. They were pretty straightforward. And I think we're just waiting on one last thing from Lance. And then that book is done as in done. Nice. I, can, I still have some time to hunt down an alternate cover artist. And I have an idea or two. But I'll also run that by the Invader guys and, and see what they think. I have a very strong idea that I can tell you about once we stop recording. Oh, right on. But yeah, but let me get to the, um, I guess, my second and, and final thing, which is novel related because... As as you can expect, this wasn't really a big chunk of time for working on comics. I mean, I could have. I could have. But I had a, a very eventful uh, holidays for various reasons. Um, we're recording this as we're sort of crawling out of the holidays. And, uh, you know, a lot of these, you know, I, writing the novel is something I do every day. And everything else comes after that. And just a whole lot of things have been keeping me busy. So comics have fallen a little bit by the wayside. But I don't really have anything pressing. You know, it's all about working way, way ahead. If I wanted to write Kadoja Issue 2 in full, if I want to start thinking about Three Protectors Volume 2, those are the things on my agenda outside of the novel. But for the novel, what I... This this is about a realization. I came to a realization, or at least a decision. It's probably a better way of putting it. That so my my novel mentor who I got the UCLA writing certificate with basically I took every class required to get that certificate through him except one and um, and that was before I knew him he does these specials he does editing specials he does full manuscript reads etc so I went ahead and bit the bullet and bought a 10 hour pack of consulting from him and what that should allow me to do if it goes that far is for me to get up to 100 pages of my novel edited at the pro pro line edit level. I feel very good about the book. Don't get me wrong. There's still days where I'm like Victor Vaughn's showed up and Victor Vaughn's casting some self doubt in, but then at least I can call that out and address it. You know, the bottom line is I think this book's pretty good. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic for it. I'm plugging my way through it. I'm let's go with about two elevenths, three elevenths. You know, it's roughly an 11 chapter uh, exercise and I'm about two slash three of them in right now on the line edit level stuff, the final, final stuff. And then what I'm going to do in the new year is I'm going to go ahead and just pick chunks of pages for him to look at. 
you know, in a perfect world, much much like Ralphie when he writes the Christmas theme, he's thinking he's going to turn it in and get an A++++++ and never have to write themes again. That is also what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that this first session comes back with my mentor saying, this is really, really close. And, uh, you know, do these couple things and you're good to go. If that happens, then, you know, maybe I won't use all of these hours on this novel. Maybe I'll take some time off, finish it. And then, you know, the hours never go bad. That's the nice thing. They're like they're like Disneyland life passes, basically. Whatever I don't use, I could just roll into my second novel. And uh, but I, I something tells me life may not go like that. <laughs> Ralphie did not, in fact, get an A plus. He got a C plus. And uh, and the last time I was optimistic like this was when I got we're almost on the one year anniversary of me getting the critique that changed the fifth draft's nature entirely. So I have much uh, I have good expectations for this. And I believe these expectations are more reasonable than the ones I had once I had completed draft four and sent that off to everybody. So cautiously optimistic, ready to get rolling here in the new year. And hopefully this will be the beginning of a series of actions that's going to close this out. And before you know it, I might be updating on agent searches and things like that as we get, you know, pushing deep into the next year and my novel's done and I look to shop it around. Hell yeah, man. That's it's exciting times. Uh, when you're at, when you see the finish line, much like comic books and novels, I'd imagine it's the same feeling like, all right, this is all the hard work that you've been putting into it over the last year or two. Uh, it's going to finally pay off. It's going to be finished. So uh, it's a great feeling. Yeah. And it's again, it's uh, it's the novel it's supposed to be that that's all I can do. It's the novel it's supposed to be. Could I change it around and do this and do that? I could. But, you know, this is the thing that's in front of me right now is far better than any vision I ever had for this novel. It's just time, you know, so so let's let's roll. Let's go. Yeah, man. Yeah. And like like you said, we're in between holidays. We're in the taint of holidays uh, in between <laughs> Christmas and New Year's. So uh, New Year's is coming up. I actually got a, uh, a lot of extra time coming up. And so I have a lot of stuff that needs to be done. And it's, it's stuff that it's not solely, it's not, it's not pending deadline as of yet. And, uh, I started one of them. So one of the things that, uh, I've been talking about on the pod is the hardcover. So the hardcover, I thought it would be something that I would release this coming year, but the more I think about it, the more I think it's going to be 2023. I think I want to have a little bit of distance. I want to put uh, maximum effort into revamping the, like the previous issues, like any kind of um, any kind of inconsistencies that I see with the character work, the designs. I want to go back and I want to basically put patches over them. And I actually started that process this week. I had some extra time, um, and I was going through issue one of the second shift and just looking at the faces of the characters. Uh, Eddie and Sarah specifically. Uh, switch and spree their their faces are wildly inconsistent and something one of my friends pointed out to me uh, uh, one of my filipino friends a long time ago was they don't look filipino and then so i was like oh crap and uh i drew that issue when i was just coming back from wrestling a 10-year break from drawing to go wrestle so i was like oh crap and so i was very much aware of that after she said it and so the more I drew the issues, the more consistent I got with their looks. So um, now it's just like I can draw them. It like if I don't. One of the things that you can that artists do, artists have a habit of drawing the same face. It's called same face syndrome. So they can draw a guy, 
and they relatively look like the same guy, a girl relatively looks like the same girl. I can draw Eddie and Sarah without hair, and the hair is what usually changes the character. So the face is about the same, and the hairstyle is, is what changes it up. I can draw their faces without hair, and you go, yeah, that's Eddie and Sarah. Because they have different facial characteristics and fa different face structure than uh, John and Anne do. And so it's it's way easier for me now to go back and look at those pages and go, oh, God, what'd you do? What were you doing back then? So uh, I started the process. I'm on, uh, I can't remember which page I did, but the first page is finished where I had essentially five or six patches that I put over the, the, the images. I'll send them to you after the pod so you can check it out. And uh, it's kind of fun. And it's not overly time-consuming because most of it is faces. The one challenge that I'm running into, and I think I'm doing a pretty decent job, is drawing in the style that I used to draw back then. So it's like my style's evolved since the very first issue, since the first storyline. So it's like I have to be fully aware and conscious, conscious of like the little ticks I used to do back then as opposed to what I do now. So it, it's pretty fun. And uh, um, I'm enjoying it. And so I just want to take my time. I want to make sure all of these pages look amazing and very consistent running throughout. And, um, you know, the essence of what I did originally will still be there because I'm still leaving the bodies and, and, you know, the original coloring is still there. These are something I'm going to have to give to Joaquin. And he's going to have to do his best to try to match his old style of coloring just to make it seem seamless. And uh, that's going to be the challenge. And honestly, it's, it's pretty fun. Hmm. It's an interesting decision you'll be making when it comes to the, the omnibus, the omnibus volume one. So, uh, yeah, man, it's like stay tuned. But I, I think similar to what I was just saying about, like, I could brainstorm three protectors volume two and I could start writing Kadoja, you know, number two. It's like or I couldn't <laughs> or I could wait until it's a little bit more pressing and go from there. Yeah. And another thing that I have to do is. Since I'm doing this all digitally, the first story arc, uh, issues one through five, it's all pencil only. I did not have an inker. I was not confident in my inking abilities. Plus, I was very slow, so everything was taking way longer than I wanted it to. So the last thing I wanted to do was ink on top of the pencils that took me forever to do. So uh, easy fix. Uh, Procreate comes with a bunch of different pencils and brushes. And so I usually, even when I quote-unquote pencil when I'm working initially for the like the first part of the layout the sketches um, I'm using an ink pen because it all erases when it's digital it doesn't matter like that's the you get a better line with with a pen so why not just use a pen so I don't even touch mm -hmm. the pencils usually so honestly this is the first time that I've used the pencil tool in in this program and it works very well it assimilates a traditional pencil um uh, precisely in my estimation it looks really really good and it mimics uh the first first story arc lines uh, very well so happy with that nice nice uh, um you said you don't have much of anything else right you had just those two things i have i have an idea for us to talk about but it's basically like the you know the the bullshit and part of the episode okay yeah well i got a bunch of stuff and i think this stuff is interesting like the patch stuff super interesting to me and uh i started the back matter so i did a kickstarter for issues 10 and 12 of Second Shift, uh, 10 being the second part of a two-part story arc, and 12 being the Drawtober edition turned into a fully formed comic. And I started doing the back matter for issue 10 and the lettering for both issues 10 and 12. So 
Um, I've talked about the lettering before on issue 10. I managed to knock out 12 completely in one day. I had a full day where I was it was just me and the dogs just chilling out. And I was like, you know what, let me get this done. And I banged out the entire issue uh, in one sitting. It really helped that me and Ed already took care of the scripting of this, of this issue. Um, he did his original uh, take on the issue just based on, on the single panels. Um, I did send him layouts for the thumbnails of what the pages were going to look like. And so he came up with the story. I came up with, I sent him my story what I thought they were talking about the whole issue. Because as an artist, if you're going to basically plot the issue, you know what's going on. You know what they're, you roughly know what they're talking about. It's just going to take you a moment to, you know, translate that into to dialogue. So that's what I did. Um, I went through the issue, I dialogued it, I sent it back to him, and then he amalgamated both of our scripts and came up with this very, very awesome uh, script for that issue. And it was a nice combination of what I had done and what he had done. And uh, it was fantastic. So I didn't need to consult back and forth like, hey, here's the page. What do you think? Because it was already done. Like we already took, mm -hmm. you know, we were basically on our third draft. He did a draft. I did a draft. And then we have our com combined draft. And uh, I thought it worked really well. Nice, dude. Um, let's see. The last thing on my list of things that I've done. I, I finished the Mermaid Commission in the pencil stage. Um, I got, last time we checked in on this, he had some notes for me on what he wanted done. And I did all of those things. And I sent it to him probably about three or four days ago, and I'm still waiting to hear back. It's been, the, it's, it's the holidays. So obviously people are busy. So I'm sure there's a bit of that going on, but I am anxiously awaiting because, uh, you know, your boy's got some comics he wants to buy and he's going to need that money to uh, do so. <laughs> so I got some stuff on my watch list that's uh, been been looking at me, staring me in the eyes, and uh, I need to finish this com uh, commission if I want to spend some dough. Yeah, yeah. Well, that so that was all you had to talk about, right? Yeah. I think we should spend the, the time we have on the rest of the episode kind of catching the listeners up on how we've treated ourselves both uh, for Christmas and even as recently as today, <laughs> because the purchase, you know, we, we did talk about a couple episodes ago how um, we bought ourselves some gifts, right? Or, or a better way of putting it is sometimes gifts came in. It's like, ah, throw it under the tree. You know, I know. I mean, that's look, we've, we've mentioned this before. You know, the reason retailers want the Christmas season to be as long as possible is because they know that we buy gifts for ourselves when we buy gifts for others. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, that is exactly what I did. Bought a lot of gifts for others and bought some gifts for myself. So uh, I think I think we should just recap some of the highlights of what we have uh, purchased. Is that fair? Yeah, that sounds good to me. So, yeah, if you guys are into just the making comics portion of this podcast, that's over. We're going to talk nerd stuff now. We're going to talk about <laughs> what we bought ourselves. So uh, stay and enjoy. Yeah, and no, and no main topic for this week. Um, you know, not not every week has to have a main topic. We'll, we'll come back and, and figure that out as, as necessary. But yeah, so I think for me... We're just we're just gonna have like the the let's have the Gary Hodges related portion of the program here because uh, I I know when we talked about from the year end episode you know the um I don't even know his name but the 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 Italian uh, no the the Argentinian uh, uh, artist who did all the books uh, I bought I bought two of his books hold on, I gotta pull it I'm gonna pull it uh, Mort Cinder was one of the books that you picked up. And that is by El Alberto 
Brescia, or or Breccia, but I think it's Brescia. Yeah, Bre- Breccia or Bre- Breccia, maybe, perhaps? But anyway, um, so yeah, it's uh, Mort Cinder's amazing. I also got Paramus by him because that story looked the most interesting to me. And uh, I was just thumbing through it, and man, it, is, it looks amazing. So uh, I, I can't wait to sit down and read this. I I have a lot of books to read, but uh, it's easier to buy books than it is to read them. But uh, yeah. you know, hey, the ni- but that's, that's also the nice thing about comics is that if I buy myself a bunch of novels, if you're not reading them, you're not doing shit. If you buy yourself some comics, at least you can flip through and really enjoy the art for a little bit without reading them. Mm-hmm. And now at least you're getting some basic enjoyment out of it before you really sit down and dig in and have that time. Right. And um, I'm I'm hoping that I have a lot more free time over this next month, two months, three months than I did over the last month or two, which just went by in a blur. So, yeah, man, that was that was kind of like the first thing I got for myself. Uh, how about you? Uh, so I had a ton of stuff. I, I've had this habit because I would do a YouTube channel where I basically unbox a whole bunch of stuff that I've got in. And I, I've slowed down on doing that part. But the thing that didn't slow down for a while was getting comic books, like buying comic books online. And I just, I don't know, time has been tough. I need to clear storage space off of my phone to record these things. So it's just like, you know what, I've been waiting so long. And uh, you came up with the idea of just putting them under your tree. And I was like, that's a great idea. I've kind of been doing that for the last couple of months anyway. So why not wait till Christmas? Uh, a couple of things that I forgot I bought for myself were some issues of the Golden Age Daredevil, which I'm a huge fan of and I've been obsessing over lately. Uh, unfortunately, I lost an auction. It, it was They had to buy it now and it was like 20 bucks and it was a low number. And for whatever reason, I didn't pull the trigger right away and someone else did. I thought I was the only person in the world buying these things, so I was pretty upset that someone else got me for it. Um, it's a listener of the podcast. Yeah, he's just... <laughs> They're like, really. I like it. Yeah. I like it, and now I'm going to outbid Scott. Yeah, I'm going to just really stick it to him and, and you know pull the carpet out from under uh, under him. So, um, But yeah, so I got some Daredevil issues. There were some Savage Dragon issues that were in there that I completely forgot and a ton of Kickstarter books. Like, I think the majority of the books that I had under the tree were Kickstarter. And uh, it was something I had to explain to my girlfriend because packages kept slowing up, uh, showing up to the house. And then she's like, you bought more stuff? And I'm like, I, I swear to you, I paid for this like six months to a year ago. Like, none of this mm-hmm. stuff is, is newly purchased. Like, this is all old stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm like, and, and luckily she's seen me go through my Kickstarter struggles with getting that alternate cover out, the exclusive cover. So she knows that, yeah, it does take some time. You know, you get the money and totally. then you got to do the process. Um, and, totally. and then the one thing uh, that I was going to buy myself most recently was that Mort Cinder book. But as I was going to pick it up, something came up that I, I thought looked super interesting. And like you've talked about, like you, you have more books than you've read. And I'm really getting in that space right now. And I, I kind of want to chill out a little bit. Like Monsters, for instance, just came in. I haven't had a chance to even start reading it. I flipped through it to look at the art. Um, but I saw another book that was cheaper than the Mort Cinder. And the subject matter is something a little closer to what I'm doing in my books. And it was the Collected Toppy of Volume 6 Japan. So it's from by Sergio Toppy or Topi. Uh, I've heard it said both words both ways there and uh it's very reasonable price and wanders of Milisanda, like a lot of the characters armor is 
based off of, you know, feudal Japan. So it's just a, you know, an amalgam of, you know, modern, futuristic and, and old school. So the fact that the, this Topi book kind of covers something that I'm doing, uh, I found that to be more enticing. So I didn't want to get myself both and, uh, you know, just being a little conservative with it. So I'm going to grab that book. I'm going to go through it. I'm going to get everything I can out of it. And then later on, I'll go for that Mort Cinder. It's one thing to get stuff that's cool. It's another thing to get stuff that's cool and actually uh, something that you think like, hey, this can actually have some sort of impact on what I do, on on what I'm creating. Um, just feed that brain a little bit, which is always cool. Always a great idea if you can get that intersection of things. There is nothing wrong with getting a book to just enjoy. But uh, sometimes it's nice to have that kind of double shot of you think you're going to enjoy it and it can it can benefit your craft, which is really cool. Yeah, I was I was checking out the Mort Cinder one. So um, before I pick up books, I like to look at some of the imaging. And so I'll just Google it and see what's in there. And the art for that book is amazing. It's very beautiful. Um, unfortunately, it's not something that I'm doing right now. And uh, I think I think. Maybe when I jump back into second shift, there might be a little something there that can translate over. Like it's a lot of people in street clothes and, and you know, uh, different facial expressions and whatnot, different techniques. Wanders is a very specific technique. And, um, you know, the set of clothing is way different. So, yeah, definitely, definitely something to look at in the future. But right now I'm going to go for the Sergio Topi. No, it makes sense. And, and again, it's it's a good kind of inspiration. When my When my novel is out... I'll officially reference, I may have referenced it to you when you've been over, but I have two shelves of reference books, basically, maybe one and a half of reference books that I've been using for this novel. They have helped greatly for the novel. What I am not doing as preparation for the novel is to read other horror novels. I am trying to avoid horror novels where possible. Because there's influences that you want to absorb and influences that you absolutely do not. So in my case, I just want to try to avoid as many horror novels as possible, especially ones that seem to brush up against my subgenre. And there is one where I was reading it. This was like eight months ago. And it was the thing that really made me realize it. I'm like, I can't, I can't read this because I'm not listening to it and I'm not enjoying it. I am listening to it cringing hoping that it doesn't brush so close up against my idea that it makes me feel like an idiot because it's like, why did I even do this? This book was out here. Stop. You know, so it's just, it's much better to not even know it's there and have all your influences be your influences, but, but try to go from different angles so that let's just say like I'm reading a fair amount of, of women's fiction right now. If an influence from something about the women's fiction creeps into my novel, so be it. It's it's a disparate influence. It's just sort of there, and, you know, trust me, it's not going to influence the plot or anything. Um, where if a horror influence creeps in, it's like, like, like you talked about before, I think, on that podcast, like, son of a bitch, I stole this, <laughs> you know? And there it was right there, so... It's just, you know, that's my preferred way of doing it. That said, research, things like the the Topin book, I, I think that's great. You know, again, get, getting those influences that you can feed your brain with are, are wonderful. Um, what other big things did you get? I'm going to talk about two small things, and then I'll, I'll go back to the Gary portion. So these are just two dumb things, but this one showed up, and I had forgotten I'd ordered it, pre-ordered it. It's uh, Dracula of Transylvania. 
It is written and illustrated by Richard Delgado, a modern retelling of an ancient classic. So it's Bram Stoker's Dracula looks like from an entirely different angle and with some illustrations and stuff in there. Oh, cool. So I thought that was pretty cool. I'm a sucker for Bram Stoker's Dracula. I, I don't know how many damn versions of that thing I have. I mean, I have a fancy annotated version, I believe. I have a couple graphic novels of it. I have this, you know, it, it's uh, to me, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's a classic. Nice man. That looked really good. And then, yeah. And then a sillier thing I got myself, which is, you know, I had this toy that I'd been having my eye on as one of those, I'm going to keep my eyes open at a convention. And if I ever see this toy at a convention, I'm just going to get it. It's not that expensive. It's not that rare. I'm assuming I'll find it. I never found the damn thing. <laughs> so I finally said, screw it. Let me just buy it. Right. And it is the Marvel's thing. Fantastic. Marvel's fantastic Four thing. And it's this one. Oh, nice. Yeah, that looks good. Dude, it's it's just super, it's this amazing, super chunky, I don't even know what toy line this is, but it's a more recent toy. It comes with two thing heads, which is kind of fun. And uh, it's just this big, bulky, substantial figure of the thing from the Fantastic Four. And um, It's a Hasbro. I wonder if that's based off of the cartoon, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they, they make so many toy lines for just no reason at all. Hmm. And, and so for me, you know, something I really didn't talk about a lot, but, but listeners of podcast will know it's sort of obvious is really my rediscovery of my love for the fantastic four this year, ranging from toys to, you know, my, my grail purchase of, of issue 49, um, just to some other stuff to the fact that, that I continue to buy all these great dollar issues or back issues of the fantastic four. You know, you were the one who mentioned to me. When I pulled the trigger on some cool alternate cover, oh, it was that Fantastic Four that had the Jack Kirby Doctor Doom. And you said, hey, I don't think you're going to regret that. I've heard a lot of good things about the new Fantastic Four. I picked up some dollar issues of it. I think it's great. Uh, You know, the the characters obviously look a little bit different, but it really has that wonderful essence of just classic Fantastic Four. And I I don't have any kind of real run. I have like, you know, one, three, four, six, eight, nine, ten, eleven, that kind of thing. But I can always fill the gaps in as I go. Yeah, definitely. uh, Especially if you got number one. That's always, I think one and two are the trickiest ones. Um, Something that I've heard a long time ago, and I think it still holds up. They always over-order for issue one. They always under-order for issue two. So mm-hmm. that might be a tricky one to get. So glad you got issue one. Dan Slott, yeah. Dan Slott writes in that Stanley essence. He has a Stanley essence about him. It's very old school, um, but modernized in his own way. And uh, also, I think your Fantastic Four love, I think the germ of it started at um, Phoenix Fan Fusion. Because you started wandering around. You're like, hey, I'm just going to go, you know, look around, check out some booths. And you came back with some dollar bins there. You were like, yeah, I found the or yeah. like dollar or 50 cents or something. You picked up a whole bunch of issues. It was like 33 cents. It was ridiculous. Mm. It was Zia Comics. And they had some insane deal. And I pulled this grip of John Byrne run Fantastic Four stuff. Yeah, I think you're right. That's probably the, the, where it all did start. Yeah, the, yeah, you just, it's been escalating for two years. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, just building and building. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Or should I close it out with my 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 big purchase that I just made today? Um, Let me try to think here. What, what other cool stuff did I get? Um, I got a couple of things for Christmas. So 
Um, I did have a list. I had a family or a friend, a friends miss gift exchange. So me and my old wrestling buddies, we uh, drew some names out of this this website. It it, it uh, you know shuffles it for you and it distributes it out so you get someone. So a couple of books that I got. I got the graphic novel of Unknown Soldier. I think that's in my room right now. And I'm halfway through and it's 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 pretty decent. And another book that someone uh my buddy Steve got me, he was my secret Santa. It's Will Eisner's Shop Talk. So Comic Legend Will Eisner interviews industry pioneers. He in interviews Neil Adams, CC Beck, Milton Kniff, Jack Davis, uh Lou Fine, Gil Kane, Jack Kirby, Joe Kubert, Harvey Kurtzman. Philip uh, Suling and Joe Simon. So I've heard of this book, and uh, my buddy Steve got it for me. So I'm pretty excited to read that. That's awesome. We've never mentioned this. I am such a sucker for like long form interviews of creators of anything, but comic creators, novelists. My spirit animals seem to be comic creators, obviously, novelists. On music, it tends to be DJs and producers. And for movies, it tends to be directors. Those are just the people that I find the most fascinating. And uh, I actually kickstarted something from IDW a few years ago. It was called Full Bleed. And it was it was IDW's version of doing like the comics journal, which is an amazing... Can ha They have some unbelievable interviews in comics journal. And the nice thing about comics journal and Full Bleed is we are talking about 10, 12, 14-page interviews here, dense and long and very involved. And so, yeah, man, that Will Eisner book sounds promising. Keep me posted on that. That might be something on my future list just because I love the conversations with creators so much. And those are some heavyweights that you're talking about. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to read it. And uh, I'm not a prose guy. I don't read a ton of books. But when I do find something that's interesting, I really get pulled in. So hopefully I'll get that started soon. I want to knock out the Unknown Soldier first. And uh, I think I'm halfway there on that one. And then I'll start this. And this will be like, I think, a nighttime read before bed type of situation. Nice. Nice. Yeah. From uh, Speaking of the books that I bought but haven't read yet, I am trying to really plow through all of my single issue comics, including all of these cheap dollar books I've bought. And I'm making really good headway through them. So I, I do expect that I'll get to these books that I just talked about sooner rather than later. But uh, let me let me talk about my final thing this episode. Are you still doing the two two books a day, two comics a day with your coffee? Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm up to about four right now. Oh, shit. Maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah, I just have a little bit more reading time now, which is great. So, yeah, I, I'm knocking out like two in the morning and then trying to make a concerted effort, concerted effort to really get through more and more and more of them because I want to get through all these books because it's time, you know, same thing. I, I had my little fun, you know, for the holidays, but now I'm pumping the brakes and I really just want to blast through all these amazing things that, that I've sort of surrounded myself with, except for one thing, which I acquired today. Oh. And I, I'm going to blame Gary for this as well, because in chat, Gary just, I don't know why he randomly drops a thing in that he's considering buying this Shaw scope volume one as a treat to himself. So Shaw Scope Volume 1 is a Blu-ray set of eight Shaw Brothers movies with the typical like remaster badass treatment in a cool box set. I think it has multiple format presentations and things like that. And that's that's interesting enough for most people. They're like, wait, tell me more. You know, I mean, I've 
I'm a huge fan of Kung Fu, obviously, you know, three protectors should, should, uh, uh, unveil even more of that for people and, and show how, how much I love that genre. But then I'm looking, I, I click on the link like an idiot. And then I noticed that in the box set, it says includes two CDs. And those two CDs have the, the letters D and W on them. So I'm going to invoke my music collector here. DW stands for DeWolf. DeWolf Library. So the Shaw Brothers used a ton of library music, which I think I have mentioned before on this podcast. Basically, European studios hired a bunch of dope session musicians to just play mood music, funky, fast, energetic, love, sad, whatever. And then movie producers, instead of hiring bands or hiring people to do the soundtracks, would just buy these records. And then these records could be used for their productions. The Shaw Brothers are notorious library music users, which makes tracking down their soundtrack stuff so hard because there are no soundtracks. You just have to know where the tracks came from, from hundreds of library records because they were library junkies. You know, I I went on this... I'm just going to go deep cut here on music. In the in the movie Super Inframan, there's this incredibly funky thing that ended up being used by Mad Lib on one of his um, hip-hop records, hip-hop funk records or something like that, and it is so ridiculous. And there's some other stuff, too, that's just insanely good off the Super Inframan soundtrack, and that just put me down the rabbit hole, and their kung fu movies are the same. So when I saw that there's actually a way to get sort of soundtracks from these movies, that was that was what cinched it. it. It wasn't the movies. It was the fact that, wow, I get to know where all these soundtrack things came from now. And it turns out that a lot of them were from the DeWolf Library. So they partnered with the DeWolf Library to get all these cool songs pressed up on a couple CDs. And, uh, and now they're going to show up at some point. And I'm, I couldn't be happier. You know, it's one of those things of... I have been tracking down these type of songs for a decade when it comes to this oh, stuff. Wow. So that's the thing that, you know, is behind the scenes when I texted in the group chat, oh, Gary, why'd you have to show me that they had the damn CDs? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because again, it's just, it's the culmination of a journey that I've been on for a very long time that started before the last podcast we did. I did a bunch of episodes of, which was the vinyl exam, a record collecting podcast. So that little part of my music collecting quest has come full circle now, and I'm I'm really stoked for it, dude. It sounds awesome. I'm glad he put that in there. Uh, what's that run? The box set. I'm not going to share. <laughs> uh, <I'll, laughs> Listeners uh, can look it yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll ask you off the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds like something that we're going to. Uh... It, I mean, it, it's not it's not wildly it's not wildly expensive, but it's not it's not chump change either. Okay. That's something that we'll have to dive into when I take a trip up there. We still need to take another trip to that um, Heroes Spiros, I believe it was called. We haven't been there in yeah. a while, so that would be cool at some point uh, to yeah. tackle that. Well, I think I'll save up my ducats for that because, uh, you know, I'm not in the mood to buy any cheap dollar comics now, but there might be a day two, three months from now where I am. Yeah. Maybe we can arrange something. Yeah, sounds good. Um, one thing that I've been doing uh, is making a a very uh, hard effort to get to the comic shop every Wednesday. So today is Wednesday. And uh, I had one book in my pull list, and it was Ice Cream Man number 27. So um, I was like, feels weird. 
feels weird to come in and just buy one comic book and then leave. So uh, SoCal Comics is an amazing comic shop, and I found myself going through the dollar bins. I didn't find anything there. Um, there was tons of people in the comic or in the dollar section, so I was like, too many bodies, not for me. I'm out. So I went on the other side of the comic shop where they have their older comic books, and I was like, you know what? Let me look into some back issues of uh, some old school um, series that I've been collecting. And I won't get into one. Uh, it's one from childhood. But they had a nice run of books that I needed. So I grabbed a couple. One was, a, you know, issue 10 and then one was like 27 or something. And I'll tell you off the air which series it is. Because I, I don't want anyone that lives in San Diego listening to this podcast and then going like, hey, I've been meaning to buy into that collection too. Let me go down and yeah. take all these from Scott just like a Golden Age Daredevil on eBay. Exactly. You bastards already bought up the Golden Age Daredevil. That's right. Fool, fool, fool us twice, sh- shame on us. Yeah, fool us three times, Rochambeau. I don't, I don't know. We'll load up the chopper, let it rain on you, that's to it. quote J. Cole. That's Actually, we won't do that at all. We're not mean people. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I got a couple of issues of that, and I think that's something I'm going to do. I'm going to, like, pop into that side and kind of one by one pick up those missing issues of that series that I'm looking for. They're, they're pretty reasonable um, for how old they are. And uh, I'm just going to I'm gonna complete that run. You know, it's, it's something that's right there. It's achievable. It's not going to cost me too much dough, especially on slow weeks like this where you only have one book. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited about that. The bottom line is we're back, baby. We're back. We, we took some time off, but we are back. What did we take, like a whole month, maybe two months? I felt like we took longer than that. Yeah. But we, we did it. We've made up for it. Although, again, I'm, I'm now going to settle down because for me... Buying dollar books now is getting in the way of me reading these killer graphic novels I have. So my plan is just go through all these comic books I have while staying current, of course, and then getting to the graphic novels after which, once I clear those, it's like, yeah, I can go back into dollar books. Dollar books are generally going to be there all the time. There's always something cool in the dollar bin. So, it, you know, yes, you might miss out on some comic, but there's another comic there to take its place. And this is all about reading cool comics. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but uh, but yeah, that's that's my plan. We'll see how well I stick to it. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I'm uh, I'm trying to stay current with with all of the stuff by, you know, getting these pulls every week. But there's also stuff like I, Ice Cream Man. I'm I'm buying them, but I'm not reading them because I'm not current. I haven't read the previous issues. They cost me so much money that I refuse to open them. So I think I'm going to have to buy the trades or get them digitally or something like that just so yeah. I don't sully them with my dirty fingers. And uh, yeah. But yeah, there's other books. Oh, did I tell you? I finally got vinyl number four. Oh, yeah. So the quest is over. The quest is over. So Midtown Comics had some sale. It was like 65% off um, M through N or something like that. And so I picked up some Nightwing Run and uh, while I was there, I was like, you know what? I'm getting these vinyl issues. So I ended up picking up uh, a couple of issue four, and then I think a single of issue five and another one of six or something like that. Just, just I like having two sets of vinyl. When I when I am a fan of a certain book, I'll pick up two copies. It's like this yeah. book is so awesome. I, I want two of it. You know, one to read, one to sleeve, and um, you know, uh, see where that Damn goes man. in the future. But uh, I don't do it with a lot. Because I did it with every book in the 90s. I have two copies of almost everything in the 90s. It's insane how much money I threw away by doing that. But um, uh, the habit's still there on certain books. Like, if I just dig it, I'm getting to, regardless of how popular it is with everybody else, I figure at some point, maybe the rest of the world will catch up. 
So, uh, yeah, the, the quest is Here, over here's, and I got it. Yeah. And, and in the spirit of my old podcast, the vinyl exam, you rock doubles of vinyl. Mm. That's what you're supposed to do. So well done. Sneakers. Well done. I guess everything that you love, you're supposed to get two of, you know, one to <laughs> there's no fucking way I could do that. One, one, <laughs> but... one to rock, one to stock. Yeah. 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 That would, that would be nice, but, uh, but not, not me and not in this life. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I was one, one random final thing. Uh, I was Glennis, uh, you know, comic book hideout owner, uh, was doing the same show we did a couple weeks ago. And uh, I, I went by to just see how, how they were doing. And she said, well, you know what would make my day is if someone bought that Tales to Astonish number, I don't know, what is it, number two? The one that's the first appearance of Groot. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was like, well, you know, that's that sounds admirable. How much are you asking for it? And she told me the price. And I was like, you got to wait for the book deal on that one, Glennis. <laughs> and she was like, I'll take, I'll take you know, 30% off. And I said, you still got to wait for the book deal. <laughs> so if it's, if it's about one to rock and one to stock, then yeah, that's book deal money we're talking about there. And that's assuming that it's actually a nice book deal. <laughs> right. Yeah. So anyway, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. And that but, is a uh, um, tales to astonish number 13, number 13. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We settled it. We settled it. All right. That'll do it for this episode of making comics. You can find me at Scott lost S C O T T L O S T on Facebook, or excuse me, on Twitter and Instagram, and facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah, I'm an Instagram guy, so for me, you can find me for Kadoja, all things Kadoja, that is at Kadoja Kaiju, one word, and at Keith underscore Invader. I rechanged my handle. It is now Keith underscore Invader, so that's how you can find me on Instagram. And you can find my comics Second Shift and Wanders of Melisanda at accidentalaliens.com. Second Shift is a tale of minimum wage workers during the day and superheroes at night. Wanders of Melisanda, anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans. You can also pick up the Accidental Alien anthologies. We currently have a limited supply of 2018 and 2019 left, as well as uh, Tales from the Mothership, which is our continuation of the anthology series that is specifically tailored towards uh, sci-fi. It's kind of a catch-all. And then we'll have another book coming out next year which i will talk about a little bit more um next year rock on rock on for me it's keithrfoster.com there is some kadoja stuff there there are some blog posts there and some additional information and of course as we get closer and closer to three protectors there will be more and more stuff there so three protectors is coming i am excited and i hope i hope you will be too and you can contact us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. If you have a topic that you want us to cover for the episode, uh, let us know there. If you have any qu- questions, comments, concerns, quements, I think that's a thing. I don't know. Uh, you could do Clemency? it. Clemency? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you could do it at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah. And then if also, if you want to give us some other Clements and some five-star reviews, then you can go to I, uh, Apple Podcasts. That's an easy way to give us five stars and uh, and throw throw a review at us. Again, it really, really helps. And then, again, there's this rumor that you can do it on Spotify, but apparently I have to solve clues like I'm going to a rave party. You might have an easier time doing that, but I don't. So good luck. Good luck, friend. <laughs> and then if, once you solve the riddles, feel free to give us a wonderful review on Spotify, too, even though I haven't been able to find it myself. And it's OK, because we're not going to give ourselves reviews. We need it. We need you to do it 
to appease yeah. the almighty algorithm gods out there. Exactly, exactly. We're sort of all slaves to the algorithm gods. Huh? Praise be to algorithm. We'll see you guys next episode. Hey, hey.